Welcome to Conversations from the Center, Episode 8, Affecting Technologies. I'm Chris Bratton, Executive Director of the Center for Arts Design and Social Research. And I'm Dalida Maria Benfield, the Research and Program Director of the Center for Arts Design and Social Research. This audio series is produced in collaboration with Sylvain Souklai, uh, who also is the curator for the performance art section of the program and uh, who does the case study um, for each episode. And we also work with Joseph Kamadu, who's our sound art curator. For this month's episode, the case study, Sabrina Hutt, curator and artist, will discuss a physical exhibition created during the pandemic in Amsterdam. And then we will listen to performance artist Diana Schumann, who's a choreographer based in Haifa. And following that, we have a conversation with the members of the Center for Arts Design and Social Research Affecting Technology Research Group, um, including Gabriel Pereira, uh, Bruno Moreschi, and Catherine Yi. The episode will conclude with a sound piece by Brazilian artist Yuri Bruschi. Welcome to the case study. My name is Sylvain Souklai. During this segment, I will explore the core structure and articulations of an artist's practice or organization initiatives. This month, I will have the pleasure to talk with Sabrina Hutt. Sabrina is a part of Imagine Choreographies alongside Ilana Reynolds. The past July, just after the end of the lockdown, they organized a physical exhibition in Amsterdam. The exhibition was called Stories of Absence. I am curious about her impression and observation of a collective life even after a long period without it. What was your mindset the day, um, the days, the hours uh, before the opening of the exhibition? Um, well, I think it's best to describe as a mindset of, of improvisation as, um, the opening for our exhibition, um, was just one week after, um, the whole gallery space was reopened again. Um, so the whole atmosphere was really, um, full of not really knowing if it's actually going to happen or not. Um, it was also like all the time, like the possibility of being canceled again present. So we, of course, we had to do a lot of adaptations. We had to make the whole exhibition on a very, like, just like a smaller scale. And it was also not, uh, not really sure if I'm able to, to travel from, um, Berlin, just my place of residence to Amsterdam until I think two or three days before the exhibition. So we really had to just um, improvise and work with what is actually possible. Um, yeah, I guess I would describe it like this. Um, to, uh, try, I'm trying to understand. So because of the situation, uh, did you have to do a lot of pre-production work online uh, with uh, the other people that organized the, the event? Uh, how was the logistic aspect of it? Um, yeah, so we worked together with um, Esther Eva Dahmen and Joris Berger, um, who were our collaborators, and they were um, 
based in Amsterdam. So, um, and yeah, and Ilana Reynolds and I, we, we worked online in order to plan and organize the whole exhibition. Um, and of course, then they were like, they were kind of sending us back and forth a lot of pictures and they tried to organize and gave us a, a pretty, like a, an idea about how the space is and also an idea about what were the transformations in order to make the whole gallery space um, kind of like COVID-19 proof or safe. So also the whole gallery, they kind of changed a little bit their their, their concept or like how the, the visitors are kind of guided through the exhibition to make sure that they can um, keep distance to one another. And that, of course, also affected very much how we designed and planned the exhibition. Um, and in terms of workflow, it was actually like really having two people present in the space and um, like Ilana and me, like being online and just getting, um, yeah, like images and small videos. And we had a lot of conversation, but we technically we kind of tried to plan as much as possible um, online. Yeah, I, I think that. And then, of course, like having in mind that it just can happen that I'm like, I'm not able to travel there um, by myself. So, yeah, I, I felt we had to improvise all the time <laughs> and also like plan something and then replan. I mean, it was really a, an interesting period and time for, for the mind and the body and try to think about individual, I mean, the, how individuals will react about the fact to be out again and to be together again. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the audience there, their behaviors in the space and between each other? Um, yes. So first of all, I felt that there was a lot of um, excitement and also some kind of gratitude about being able to to see galleries again and to experience some kind of cultural life. Um, so, which was very beautiful. So there were a lot of people that approached us and told us how special it feels that they are back into a, a gallery space. And um, especially because it was really just one week after the whole cultural life kind of restarted again in the Netherlands. Um, and it was actually for a lot of uh, visitors the first time they kind of, yeah, went to um, any kind of cultural event again. Um, but at the same time, of course, there had to be uh, like rearrangements in the space so that the whole flow of how people move within the gallery was was um, kind of guided or choreographed I would say so there was a certain just one entrance where you could enter the space and then go around and then exit from a different space so that uh, the visitors don't cross so much which of course then already really changes how people flow through an, an exhibition space through this kind of um almost, it almost felt like it was disciplined to me in a way and yeah, and then at this um, gallery, it's called NDSM Fuse. It's quite an um, 
I would say quite a diverse space where a lot of different people come to visit the exhibitions, ranging from from tourists and art interested people and artists themselves. And um, yeah, what I also realized of spending a lot of time there was that there was some some kind of need or hunger to kind of consume a lot, but not really to spend time with each artwork. Um, and I've also felt that there was a certain kind of um, tension in the bodies walking there. So, um, or some kind of stress almost. It felt a bit like, oh, okay, now is the time. And now we have to, to see everything as, as fast as possible. Um, and as our work, it was like a performance installation with um, with soundscape and videos, which were a bit more subtle, and also ask for just spending time with it with the installation. So um, what we did was then that we placed some kind of inflatable couches and seats and all kind of like different possibilities for the visitors to actually sit down and to stay and relax a bit and and um, experience um, the artwork from a more relaxed um, state of the body that at least that was like our um, intention to invite people to just slow down also a, a bit yeah that's a really interesting uh, perspective in the sense of because it is maybe what will happen next year when we will be on the other side of the spectrum of our current collective adventure uh, that, body, as you said, the body and mind, their awakenings and how they try to rekindle, but they are at the same time unbalanced. And uh, my last question is for you as an artist, as a dancer, as a choreographer, as someone who's working with the body, with the space, with an audience or not, but with the physicality and the tangible uh, nature of your practice. Um, do you think that uh, the experience that you build and made with that, uh, that uh, exhibition, uh, do you think that that's a one-time occasion or do you think that some uh, elements of that uh, exhibition will be a part of a transformation about what could be the next step of collective exhibition mm. yeah i'm very curious um i think what could definitely feed into my future work is this idea about um about preparation and how do we actually prepare ourselves to to enter um a theater space or um, whatever kind of, of environment in which an artwork is presented and that it needs some kind of somatic tuning in. And I can think about that in both in a digital environment and in a um, like life environment. Like what are the actually the, the steps we, in which kind of state do I want to invite the audience in, in order to, to perceive and experience the artwork. I think that's for me, that was a, quite an interesting insight and and also the question of um a bit of the scale of of work because i feel that right now i'm thinking of 
of work that can be presented, of course, for a smaller audience, but also that is quite quite flexible in terms that there can be an, a more expanded version, but also there can be a bit like yeah smaller versions that are allow them to to just um, adapt to whatever is possible. So I'm thinking and I, I what I think what I took from this exhibition is that it's always good to or it felt good to to start from an initial project idea but then also being open for all kind of variations that might be possible and that's definitely um new to my work that it's not that the product the or that the format of the product somehow or the artwork has to has to be able to be adaptive as well Audio documentation, audio representation, audio manifestation, audio imagination. Our inner collective experience of 2020 gave me the idea to explore sonic and audio performances. Are an artist without a tangible space and an audience can provide a sense of liveness and a sensitive moment to people on the other side of the technological device. The audio performance series explore questions and challenges our visual dependence. What could happen when thoughts, feelings, and movements are unseen and imagined? Jana Schumann, a German-Yugoslavian dancer, performer, and choreographer based in Haifa, gave me an answer. She gave me her answer to the unknown, to be precise. But she authored a question instead, a question around movements and words. Why is she still dancing during this unbalanced and uncertain times? sequence, I would like to investigate the question why I am still dancing, what moves me still. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of instability, but also in a time of the complete unknown. Nobody knows when Theatres will open again, stages will allow again audiences. But also, it brings me closer to the question of what do I want with dance? What do I want from dance? 
Why am I dancing? What's the purpose of that? It's like diving into water. The water surrounds me, caresses my body, allows me gentle movements from side to side. The arms wide open, my knees bend. The water is carrying me. My head is floating, so is my spine. Feels like the world comes to a standstill. And at the same time, I feel the movement within me is increasing. There are so many topics in this world, the very moment, coming up every single day. There is so much injustice in this world. And to me, I feel like dance can be like a solidarity act. You can use it to Reflect on this injustice to depict it, to question it, but also to fight it. I think to me, in regards to the question of why am I still moving? what moves me. Dance is a medium which feels natural to me to express what I would want to express, to discuss what I would want to discuss. It's like a flower. Some of you I feel, but I don't really know how to be came to your garden and was just there. And then slowly it opens and you see its color. Dance is to be a necessity. I can discuss and reflect on things which to me are important. It can be used as a even revolutionary act to break traditions the society gives us, the class on us, puts us in. Um, it allows you to observe from a different viewpoint, to bend your heart 
in another direction to look around you and even to see from a different viewpoint to slowly walk on someone else's track makes you observe, makes you question, but it also allows you to change your own viewpoint on things because you move all the time, change direction. You come to stand still. To be on the floor. To enjoy different movement possibilities. And actually, it allows you to constantly modify, to constantly change, to constantly engage, to observe. To change sides. Sometimes it also opens your eyes. Can be neutral. Because in all those turns, everyone can see something else, can find something else you can relate to, or discover something completely new. And I think this is why I still dance. The way that I dance is the way I am. But it also allows me to take someone else's viewpoint, to examine it, to understand it, to lean into it, to look around, to increase movement, to come to hold. But what it does the most is, does allow me to discuss without words. And this is why I think I still dance.
You can express something through dance or let's fail. to be and it allows others to be dance itself is not judgmental but the audience can be whilst for Personal dances can be an exploration. So it can be for the audience. This is Conversations from the Center, Episode 8, Affecting Technology. And we're now at the conversations portion of the of this episode, and we're very excited to be here with Gabriel Pereira, a, an internet researcher um, based in Aarhus, Denmark, um, and with Catherine Yi, a technology researcher and computer scientist based in Philadelphia, and Bruno Moreschi, who is an artist and researcher and, uh, who's, and filmmaker as well, um, and uh, who's based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And the topic of our conversation is affecting technologies, um, which is both the name of a research group and then also a series of events um, that the research group has been doing, um, affiliated with the center, but then also working with a variety of different um, uh, collaborators uh, globally. Um, so I want to begin, um, I think, with a question to all three of you, Gabrielle, Catherine, and Bruno, which is, um, what is uh, the Affecting Technologies group? How do you understand it, and how, how does it connect to your practices as, as artists and researchers and, and activists? And anyone can jump in. I, yes, go Bruno. 
Well, I can start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think there are many, many ways to define our groups and our interest. In, but I think there's one, one thing that I really like it. It's the idea to a group that work together in a coll collaborative way, but always trying to understand the technology as something material, you know, something that is not just uh, abstract ideas and like the cloud, the connection, uh, the flows, but also um, something that is totally related and actually it's the same thing that all the practice that we we are doing uh, all the time. So um, I really like to think the group in these terms. So in terms of a material way and in, in terms of uh, trying to understand the technology as a part of a several practice that we are we are doing uh, uh, every day uh, and 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 the consequence of this. Yeah, complementing uh, that, for I think society. that um, what's really interesting about the group and the way we've been operating is that it's been very connected to thinking about technology globally. So trying to bring people from different, uh, not only different backgrounds or not even, uh, not only different uh, practices, but also people who come from different places and who see those technologies in ways that are really different and really trying to bring those people together. And um, uh, Catherine has this phrase and uh, she can tell who is actually the person behind this phrase before, but uh, it's this idea that there is a conversation that these people in the room can only the people in this room can have and then trying to really make that conversation happen. And I think that um, the, this, this, this group is really about trying to bring people who are thinking about technology in those different ways and thinking about the kinds of conversation that can, they can have and really trying to think then about this, those, those diverse and complicated meanings that technology can, can have in different places and um, how they are so similar and so different. Catherine. Yeah, the phrase you cited is a good uh, summary of the way I like to think about my involvement in the group, which is to create countercultures of computing, because I think the way that computing is talked about in the popular imagination is very fixed already, and I think people generally tend to forget that it is quite new, <laughs> like, you know, 1970s. So there's still a lot of room, very much room for things to change and things are constantly in flux. And from my experience, those changes come from dedicated countercultures of people who are creating spaces and having these productive collisions of ideas and saying things that couldn't be said in the dominant culture and these kinds of things, you know, eventually get captured into the existing dominant culture in ways that might not be what the group expects. And so my thought here is to work mindfully on figuring out, you know, what is the next way or the next ways that we can think about the interwoven fabric of computing and social and economic conditions and law and cultural production as they're situated differently worldwide. 
You know, I'd like to ask you a question along those lines related to a recent event that you all had in Sao Paulo, where you brought together a group of activists, yourselves, of course, and then a broader group of activists and uh, researchers. And, um, and with the idea in mind of creating a, a counterculture, and could you talk a little bit about that event and maybe specifically Catherine's point about the steps the steps in building a counterculture. Yeah, I think, well, this event was a second step. I think it had roots in our first event in Helsinki, right? So, you know, I think we could also talk about that. And with these events, something that seemed surprisingly new to me, although that I then learned is, of course, an established practice is you know, as Gabriel said, okay, you know, these people in the room, there's only one, there's like a certain conversation that only these people in the room can have, find it. Like your task as a facilitator and organizer is to find it. But you know, the, this quote doesn't tell you how to do that. And so we're like trying to design these facilitation strategies to figure out, well, you know, these are all strangers, but we know, and they agree that their work is in resonance with each other. So how can we find these lines that, you know, can deepen people's thinking? And maybe Gabriele can speak more to how we did this. Yeah. So, so, so what's really interesting is that, um, so, so as the second event, the first one that we did was in Helsinki at Alto University. Um, and um, the second one in Sao Paulo, uh, I think it is really about bringing people together and, um, trying to think about, you know, those people are doing different things. So, so maybe we need to talk specifics. So we have, for example, someone like Silvana Bahia, that is a um, organizer, an activist, but also a technologist, uh, somebody that is thinking about um, technology in Rio and trying to think about uh, people of color in Rio and how they can get together to think about creating technology, but also involving different communities. Like they have this, this project for, for people that are 60 plus and, and teaching them and helping them think about technology and facilitating that. So she's doing all of those projects. But then you also have uh, researchers and activists uh, who came from the United States, like uh, Sabila Mlambi uh, coming from uh, Harvard um, Berkman Klein Center, who's someone that is thinking about, um, you know, the Ubuntu uh, ideas and how they can help us think about artificial intelligence. And then uh, we might have, you know, us, you know, like me, for example, someone who's doing research here in Denmark, but originally from Brazil and trying to figure out, you know, like, how can I think about technology in a more complex way and trying to think about how much we can learn from each other, you know, like things that, um, things that really is about like getting together in a room and, and trying to build that together. I think that's where yeah. the counterculture is, you know, just to finish it off. I think that's where the counterculture is. It's, it's about bringing those people who in different senses are, are trying to centralize those, those voices that are from the margins, you know, like the technology today is really much uh, about, you know, big tech and about big corporations. And uh, here we're really bringing those people that, you know, the researchers, the activists, the artists who often are not heard in discussions about technology. That's, I think, brutal. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, uh, I think this event, well, the first one, I was not there, unfortunately, 
but the second one in Sao Paulo, uh, I think also was a way to 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 put all the concepts in in a, in the real world. For example, um, well now now we are finish a publication about this second event, and I think yesterday I was reading the all the book. Uh, uh, to review the contact, and I, I read again the the text by Catherine, and when she talks about this idea of new language for technology, and then I remember that during the during this event in São Paulo, well, uh, uh, a lot of people in the group actually uh, didn't speak uh, English, but it was not a problem because. Uh, during the workshops and the several activities that we did together, I I realized and and when I read the text again, I remember that that actually we are doing a lot of interesting things, but uh, without the the necessity to speak English or even Portuguese, it's a kind of new language that we we are trying to do in these events in 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 a practical way, you know, working together and also with the body. And then you can put the body together in a room. For example, we, we work uh, at the uh, uh, Innovation Center at Sao Paulo University in a really big space. And then I, I had the sensation that uh, I think maybe for the first time I had the sensation that uh, technology and the body is totally related. And, and and with uh, this kind of events, maybe we don't need uh, the official language of technology because, of course, it's English. But maybe we can. Uh, um, uh, I think it's totally possible to 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 think the, this language in terms of uh, a collaborative process. And I think these events are really important to to really. Uh, uh, go beyond the, the theoretical uh, concepts and so on, and also to work together. Because, for example, today, after I think almost uh, 10 months uh, after the event, uh, um, some of the researchers are working together in different projects that, and this started in, in this event, you know. So I think this is the idea to... to to really create the language of uh, action and not just a language with words, you know. Thank you for that, Bruno. Um, and uh, I want to take a moment to um, correct myself. Chris reminded me, Catherine, that you are not in Philadelphia, as I said, but you are actually in Pittsburgh. So my apologies. Um, no worries. <laughs> happens often. Thank you, Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I, I would be proud to be from Philadelphia, <laughs> given what just happened. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good mistake. Um, so, uh, I, in any case, um, I also want to say. Uh, so, this is Dolly Duggan. Um, in case listeners are just tuning in. Um, but I also want to say that I'm I'm part of the affecting technology group and was also at. Um, the event in Helsinki and the event in Sao Paulo, and then also Chris Bratton, my co-host, um, was at the event in Helsinki. So we have some pretty intimate knowledge of um, of those events, um, and and I'm really struck by as you're speaking um, the sense of um, 
uh, it's funny because there, the way in which um, kind of the startup culture has taken over so many of these words that I want to use and I'm trying not to use them <laughs> anymore because they've been exhausted, you know, by, uh, by the resonances in kind of neoliberal capitalism. Um, but I was just about to say discovery. Um, and, you know, and the sense of uh, really finding um, something new and finding, uh, as you said, Catherine, that conversation um, that only people in the room can have. Um, and, um, and I also want to give a shout out to uh, Sylvain Souklai, who is um, actually recording this podcast and who was also at the event in Helsinki and is, is a member of the Affecting um, technology group. Um, so, I mean, even this conversation right now seems like, you know, finding that conversation that only we can have. Um, but it really strikes me that um, we are all uh, creating something um, that is only possible, um, you know, with our commitments to creating that space that doesn't quite exist yet. Um, and so I'm wondering too, what this has to do with what Bruno just talked about in tools, in terms of the tools and, uh, the theory and, you know, being action oriented. Um, so I, I guess, you know, this is a big question. Um, but what are the new tools and new actions do you think, uh, that, that are being created in these gatherings, you know, what, if you have some examples of that. I think that is a bigger question for the group, which is what's next. And I think there is both the like a centralized answer if you give, like, you know, we're all aligned in these ways. And there's also a more diffuse answer, which is, you know, whatever is next is already happening and we just don't know it. I think the participants, like Bruno is suggesting, have, you know, gone on to do their own projects and collaborations together. And we just don't know what kind of effect that will have years down the line. But in terms of new tools and actions, I still have to think about that a little. Does someone else want to take it? Yeah, I think I think when we meet when we met together uh, in those events, uh, there was a really practical component to it uh, of really collaborating and like um, this is another word Hadalida that has been caught up with the startup culture that is hackathon, but this kind of feeling of you know getting together and making things and in both events that we've talked about in Helsinki and in Sao Paulo, we really got together to make stuff. Uh, on the go and collaborate on the go and try uh, to not only think, but also do things together, you know, and uh, a lot of interesting things have come up. And uh, the one that comes up to my mind was Sabalo's project, a uh, site POC, uh, which is um, somebody can correct me or compliment what I'm saying, but it's basically a tool for you to search for people of color uh, who work in specific areas to cite them. Uh, this is only one of the ideas that came up in those events. And, uh, I agree with Catherine as well that a part of it is also something that can't be, uh, it's hard to count, right? It's hard to, you know, summarize because it's 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 more about collaborations and getting people to know each other and to know that other people like them exist. And I think that uh, for the, um, I, Bruno can talk more about this maybe, but for Gaia that is the group 
in at University of Sao Paulo that hosted the event, it was a really important moment uh, for bringing that group together, which I also think is a very material and, and practical tool for 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 those changes. That makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree that uh, actually it's difficult to say uh, in terms of new tools and new reactions, but I think um, because I think it's difficult to to precise this because it's it's this kind of events actually I think has the function to to create bridges between people and then when we create this connection maybe a lot of things happen but we. Actually, we don't know. We don't see sometimes. Uh, but uh, it was very fascinating uh, during the um, collaborative work that we, we did in these events. Uh, the, the, um, how, how was easy to, to put the, the people work together and I think um, um, just one or two hours after the, the, the collaborative uh, collaborative work people uh, uh, create and suggest uh, a lot of uh, small ideas but not, not small in a good way you know small that actually it's possible to to do no, it's not a problem to be small and and also uh, in terms of this, um, stimulate a, a kind of is speculative uh, approach to technology so uh, I think uh, um, um, in terms of new actions, I think it's just the beginning, and maybe we can uh, probably we'll see a lot of real new tools in the future uh, um, that actually born in these events. Because now, for example, I working now in a project with uh, Sabelo, for example, and we 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 met in this event, and Bernardo Fonts, a programmer that actually worked with us. Uh, I know that. Uh, he's also worked with uh, Amanda and, and Lucas in, in another project, and they they also uh, know each other in this event. So I think is this is this is a red something real, and 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 it's it's difficult to say in terms of uh, uh, um, tools, but I think the 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 movement is 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 here and it's happening now. So probably the tools is just a consequence of this uh, group. I also wanted to add up. I mean, we also have uh, we also have the book that is coming out hopefully very, very soon um, that we're just finishing the revisions right now. And uh, I think that's also a tool, right? It's, it's a um, text from all of the presenters uh, at, the, um, at the event in Sao Paulo. So people... Once again, from very different backgrounds and very different ideas that uh, range from uh, alternative search tools to the techniques uh, of pedagogy, and um, so I think that's also something that we're putting out in the word uh, for people to also join in this conversation with us. Yeah, the book ties into I think something that is important to me. I realize, which is the institutional legitimacy for marginalized voices. Like when I came into the project, you know, I was aware that USP is a top university, University of Sao Paulo, but I think either like maybe Gabrielle or Bruno gave me the context that it's, you know, it's number one university in Latin America maybe. And then to hold this event at the IEA 
at USP is the equivalent of doing it at Princeton's Institute of Advanced Studies. It's, well, I could never see something like this at Princeton Institute of Advanced Studies because they're so, they have this, like, unfortunately, it's, it's so, like, you know, hidebound and it's just too beyond them. <laughs> but, like, then to literally see, you know, these, these folks who are doing this amazing work on the stage, like, platforming, I think, is an important action. You know, like yeah. Savannah and Thais and conversation panel is amazing. And to the the um, talks. So publishing is also one element of platformization. Like this, your ideas are important enough to be printed, edited, mm -hmm. publicized, you know, bound together in conversation with other works that are in the same idea. And I think this is an important part. I mean, institutions always have their own problems, but I think it's important to redirect resources toward those who are under-resourced. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, this idea of, because actually, the, the, I think um, a lot of the texts of the book, actually, they are not formal art articles, you know? They are more a kind of uh, um, um, informal texts conversation like and this I, and yes exactly and when we decide to actually no let's do a really beautiful book with amazing designer that's Flavia Castanheira and and so on I, I like this idea because then we are actually uh, we are actually say that well this is important it's not just because uh, uh, it's not so formal and, and, and that's okay because maybe it's more important that something finish and formal, you know, uh, and also, and, and, and this is not also a, a, a new kind of language. You know, we, we, we need to think that this, this new language probably it's not academic language for sure. It's not, uh, we need something more inclusive and more democratic and, and at the same time, we need to, to, to put these thoughts and informal thoughts and presentations and conversation in, in, a, in, a, in a good environment, in a book, and say, oh, this is also important. Uh, let's listen to these people and this idea, and let's continue these thoughts uh, with our own projects and own uh, ideas. Um, I thank you, um, uh, everyone for, um, uh, talking about the book and talking so, uh, inspirationally about, um, what a book can be and what a book could do. Um, and I'm wondering as well, uh, uh, about the, you know, approach to the design, the approach to um, the organization of the book, if you could talk about that a little bit. Um, and maybe also this, uh, as you were talking as well about the, um, about the events, um, and also I think the, the groups work together, um, the, the word playfulness um, mm -hmm. uh, emerges for me um, as I think about the kinds of collaborative projects that people have done, um, both in uh, Helsinki and Sao Paulo, um, and also just the, the kind of energy of the group, you know, I would say is very playful um, and also kind of radical playfulness, too, um, 
you know, one of the uh, uh, events that um, happened during our collaborative um, space in Sao Paulo, um, if you remember, was the uh, kind of workshop that um, uh, uh, Jen and others uh, uh, put together. Um, I, I was part of that small group, actually. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the names of everyone else. But but uh, what we created was a space in which um, people could role play uh, confronting big tech. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it it was incredibly um, uh, funny and also incredibly angering and incredibly uh, sad as well, you know, to actually really think about um, the kinds of work that Jen actually does as a lawyer um, confronting big tech as part of the ACLU um, in the United States. Um, uh, um, and, uh, but then to also, you know, be in that space where you could, um, uh, kind of play, you know, all sides of this, of the, the table, you know, of activists confronting big tech, um, as being a big tech person, um, and responding to the activists. So, yeah. So I just think this idea of, of radical playfulness too, and, and maybe how does that intersect with the book? I think Dalila, if I'm, um, if I have this right, the scene was developed in dialogue with the ideas of Augusto Boal. Don't know if I'm saying this right. The theater of the oppressed. Yeah, that's yeah, great. that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I think it'd be great if you could say more about that, if you don't mind, because it seems like a lot of the event, you know, of course, has its roots in theater of the oppressed, pedagogy of the oppressed, and the specifically like Brazilian roots. Do you, do you want to explain what that is, Dalida, or should I? Uh, Gabriel, that would be great if you did. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the, the, yeah, so the theater of the oppressed really comes from, from uh, Augusto Boal, as, as you mentioned, uh, Catherine, uh, who took uh, as inspiration the pedagogy of the oppressed from Paulo Freire that was really trying to think about how to teach education for, for freedom, really. Um, for thinking about political issues and not only the banking model of education where there's just a transmission of knowledge from the teacher to the students. And um, and the theater of the oppressed really tries to bring that to theater and uh, through different kinds of formats, which are very interactive. I think the one of the key goals is really trying to shift the spectator to a participator. Um, and uh, this is done through different sorts of formats, you know, the very famous one is the form uh, theater, form theater, where you have a forum and then the audience, and then there's a scene happen on, happening on stage, but the audience can come in and change the scene. And so you might have some sort of an oppressive scene happening on stage. Um, uh, for example, a case of uh, aggression or something like that. And uh, the audience can come in and try to, to uh, dialogue with that scene and try to change it and try to understand why it's happening and somehow uh, through the different interactions with the scene, do different do those different things. Uh, that's just one of the examples. He has a much more uh, deep practice than that. But I think that uh, in that case, with Jen, our objective was really trying to um, make ourselves live through that scene of trying to dialogue with big tech as a uh, marginalized community. And um, some of us were playing the role of being this marginalized community, and some were trying to play the role of big tech and trying to think about 
over the incentives for both sides and also the difficulties of being um, on both sides and trying to understand how we could somehow work through that situation or how we could not work through that situation, try to make it even more complex and to dig down into our own preconceptions uh, coming from those two. And of course, that that, that was really based on Jen's uh, practice as, uh, as at ACLU and participating in those meetings and um, her tactics also for, for creating dialogue or for putting pressure into those uh, discussions into, for companies, you know, to budge. Yeah, I mean, I want to tie this back to Dalajo's original question about playfulness. Like, I, you know, I'm not trying to derail you. I do think the while connection, these tactics are very playful, right? Like this anti-banking model, kind of, you know, the the affect of like sternness and authority and hierarchy, and then bringing in this democratic, participatory, like flexible, very playful approach is part of a. I don't know, like a trying to see some kind of praxis of you can change this and we can change this, we can do it together. And with the Boal scene, I think there's also another interesting piece of context which might have come from you, Dalida, or Jen or someone, which is that it incorporates some particular technique from maybe theater in general or Boal specifically, which is like finding exactly the right scene of confrontation and cutting it out of all the context and heightening it, like the kind of, like, you know, cropping a photo just right and stepping into the frame. And I think that's a really powerful, like, you know, when people are asked to participate, like what they're stepping into and how you can make the dynamics very clear to them very fast. I thought that work was so effective and I would love to see it go somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree as well, Catherine. That also reminds me of your work with the Covalence Collective, which maybe we have to devote another conversation from the center just focused <laughs> on that work. But the way that you just talked about framing um, makes me think about how the Covalence Collective is also framing um, surveillance. Um, so, but I think Chris has a question. Yeah, I have a... I, But I think I should have answered your question about the book as well, maybe, or, or should we move on to the next question? Uh, why don't we move to the next question sure. and then let's come back to the book okay. uh, to close. Yeah. Yeah. We're, these are really the last two questions, uh, mine and then Dali does. And I want to come back to a couple of things that you all said at the beginning. And by the way, thank you for an incredible conversation today. And it's really the, the Catherine's point about people in the room and then also Bruno's point about... Well, can I quickly cut in and credit the person who said that? I think it might have been the U.S.-based organizer, Adrian Murray Brown, or else I read it in her book and it's she is quoting someone else. So I just want to give credit. That's it. Thank you, Catherine. I didn't remember when I mentioned it as well. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Catherine. It's really... But I link this to, to what Bruno said too about uh, embodied practice and and one that that is kind of creates its own language through action and thinking about this kind of embodied practice that crosses locations experiences expertise um, uh, and, and thinking about you know thinking what happens when the people are not in the room and and in particular um, how do you uh, the challenge of maintaining that that and here I'm, I'm going to avoid the word network for exactly the reason that you all have been so meticulous in rethinking language and maybe suggest something else. How do we maintain, what's the, 
the challenge of maintaining the kind of mesh of affinity and that 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 creates effective action. So it's the, the events are one thing, and I, I also had the experience at, with you all in Helsinki, and it was amazing the work that that was produced, and the relationships have continued other since those times, of course, but. But in, as this continues to grow and there are kind of increasing rings of, 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 of people and activities, how, how to maintain that, that, those connections and, 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 um, and see them thrive? Yeah, this is a, this is a good question because it, this, is the, this is the difficult, this is a challenge to maintain this collaboration because during the event when everybody's in the room, I think it's easier to to do the things. Sometimes not, but in our case, it was really really easy. As Dalida said, it was playful. Uh, but to continue this, well, I think the the idea, the the book, for example, is idea to continue this because then we we to do the book, we continue the contact and also uh, uh, the uh, the conversation with people. Uh, um, but also, I think sometimes we it's difficult to see the continuation of this process. But they they are they they, they exist, you know. They 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 actually uh, provide things in the future, maybe in the present even. Uh, and sometimes we didn't realize. Uh, so maybe we we also. Uh, need to be more open to understand the main idea of a continuation of the actions that we 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 did in these events and and also I there is uh, one thing that I want to say about the events also that I think it's related to this idea to continuation is the fact that um, um, the sensation that I had in in, in São Paulo in the event. Uh, that actually, because in the morning we did some uh, formal presentations, and afternoon and night we did like collaborative work, and it was three days. And the last day, I had the sensation that actually this division was not uh, 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 existing more because uh, sometimes I realized that we are in a formal presentation, but also people continue to talk about projects and other things. So maybe this idea of continuation is also to understand that uh, uh, there are several uh, ways to to maintain the, the the actions and the the process that we started and 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 for sure uh, well this recording is also a, a way to maintain things and to spread the things that we learn together. I think that there are so many ramifications of it. There are so many continuations, you know, and I'm looking now at the list of people that were involved in the first event. And I have, uh, I have talked or seen all of those people since the event on different things. Um, so at least for me, and I, I've, I've heard from them also um, of them uh, talking to each other and so on. So I think there's uh, there's a, there's a really interesting thing in the way we've been running this so far, which is by doing, those physical events that might be very different than when we do Zoom events uh, due to the condition we're in in 2020 uh, since the pandemic, 
which is that, you know, we, we got to know each other, you know, I think there, there's a, this embodiment, you know, of in the end of the event, sitting down and having a beer together or having food together and, uh, you know, hanging out together. You know, I think that's such an important thing for, for, for creating uh, communities uh, uh, of different kinds, you know, to, and, and I think that's so crucial to, for those ramifications to happen. Um, at least that's what I've been finding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my dream is that we actually have a community space, which might be, I mean, you know, the dream dream is a physical room where we can all hang out, whatever, but that seems unlikely in the near future. So I don't know, some kind of virtual space. I mean, what is really important to me is the, for, for continuations, is this ambient space where people can just kind of do their thing and be around each other, share space and presence, and there might be some collision or, you know, like someone happens to have lunch with someone and they happen to be working on projects that are extremely in dialogue with each other. I think for that, you need a permanent low-key space. And what one reference I really like here is Ken Chen's text on the Asian American Writers Workshop, where he is talking about how he created this counterculture in the U.S. of, you know, centering writers of color, really talking about how to create this physical community space. So that's like, when it comes to continuations, that's my dream, but failing that, maybe some virtual space could fill that void or be even better. I, I, I understand the idea of a virtual space because of the context nowadays, but, uh, well, the event, I think, was happening one month uh, before the pandemic here in Brazil, I think so, one or, or two months. And uh, I think the event shows to me actually the necessity of uh, physical uh, uh, spaces and, and real bodies instead of virtual space. Of course, nowadays, because of the pandemic, we are trying to think ways to, to stay together in a virtual way, but I think this is not the is not the, the the answer. I think the answer is still, and maybe more now than than before, is the the physical space and the physical contact. Uh, and and I think the event shows this uh, how uh, and how was important people in a room uh, work together and in a real room. I mean real in terms of physical materiality and, and bodies. Yeah, th- thank you. And and I this really um, uh, all um, feeds into what a, a final question um, is that I was going to ask, although I, I also feel that you've kind of answered it. Um, uh, but who is um, the imagined uh, community of the book or that the book might create? Um, the book is a physical object. It is a physical manifestation. Um, We all know that, you know, I think books can be very intimate experiences that connect us with um, disparate um, people and disparate bodies and minds. Um, And that 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 can also be a really playful experience. So um, I wonder if each of you could just say one word about um, uh, who who would be that imagined community and and the book will be coming quite soon. it's called Affecting Technologies, um, Machining Intelligences. Um, I'll let Gabriel or Bruno say it in, in Portuguese. Um, 
Uh, and it, it is in both English and Portuguese as well. So yeah, with that, who, who is the imagined community for you? Wow. <laughs> Everybody? No, <laughs> it's not possible. But <laughs> I think uh, uh, the most important thing is people with curiosity to think new, new ways to understand the technology. And, and also people that are uh, desperate for no commercial solutions for, for the problems. And, and, and especially people that wants to do the things in a, in a different way than, than the things nowadays. But I, I think this is a really open answer to that. But uh, maybe it's better to maintain the openness instead of close the, the, the possibility to, 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 to find people uh, to work together with us. But I think it's, it's, it's depend. But curiosity is something that I think, I think it's important. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that just to complement that, I think it's anyone that is bothered by the way the technology has been yes, doing it, has been working, you know, and that has uh, thinks that this imaginary of what this technology is and could be is not simply not enough, and that uh, there are indeed other ways for us to think about technology and computation that um, can be can be can be a, a, a recovery or a finding uh, those voices that are not present in those hegemonic ways of uh, the technologies conceptualized, designed, and made and used. Yeah, like the, I think the Zapatistas said, you know, we want to create a world where many worlds are possible. So right now there's, as you say, this hegemonic kind of monoculture, but you know, anyone who wants to understand how there can be a healthy pluralism of technological cultures, is that one word? No. <laughs> <laughs> With hyphens. <laughs> yeah. well, it's one word in German. <laughs> well, thank you all. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all. Thanks, each of you. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. So oh, yes, please, Catherine. Last word. Well, actually, I wanted to ask Bruno if you wanted to say more about our designers of the book and the website, because they're amazing and also come, um, I think Bruno has worked with them before. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. And also, Bruno, if you can say the title in Portuguese, please. So the title in Portuguese is Afetando Tecnologias, Maquinando Inteligências. And the designer of the book is Flavia Castanheira. She's an amazing Brazilian designer. She works from amazing books here in Brazil. And the process was really, really good. Uh, and, also we, and also we are doing a website. And the website is doing by uh, uh, Veruska, uh, uh, Astronauta Mecânico. Yeah, uh, sorry, can you say again, Gabriel, please? Veruska Girio. Yes, and, and she's, she's also doing uh, 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 the website of the of the event and and it's also i think it's also powerful we are reaching the conclusion of our episode but conversation from the center couldn't go out without joseph kamau 
He moved recently from Nairobi to Berlin, but took the time during his travel to discover the work of the Brazilian sun artist and researcher Yuri Bruski. Yuri Bruski wrote last year an interesting paper about radio art, cassette culture, and it networked artist practices. I encourage you to read it. Um, let's talk about the, the, the sound artist and researcher of, uh, of this month. Uh, could you tell us more about uh, Yuri's Bruski work? Um, yeah, Yuri, Yuri Bruski um, is a sound artist and also a researcher, as you mentioned. And he's also a, doc, a PhD student in sociology, which is quite interesting, uh, in Brazil. And I came across his work after you sent me his paper on radio and cassette and yeah um his works really um investigate ideas of noise silences and even everyday activities and this is evident in the submission he sent for this podcast during that piece um he used a lot of frequencies there are a lot of tension in the piece how, how do will you define that uh, technique and can you tell us a little bit about it um based on his um description he says that um he composed from an articulation of logical operators to trigger generative processes to control dynamics and different parameters um like granulation distortion and filters and i believe he's using modular to do this And and there's so much noise in the music, which is also interesting. And from his background and his paper, I feel like this piece is a bit political and has a deeper context within within it. And also like referencing um, Michelle's stress, um, there's a, a text where he mentioned that the background noise never ceases; it is limitless. And it's super continuous and ending and unchanging and referencing like this text and listening to the piece of Yuri, I realized the piece doesn't have a pause until the end. Yeah. And uh, what is the name of the piece? The name of the piece is Agua de Chocalco, which means rattle water. And It's an expression used in Brazil um, for chatty people, or people who talk a lot and don't allow space for others to speak. And even relating this to the sound piece, the piece comes to a halt or a pause at the end. So there's so much noise and it eventually comes to a pause, maybe um, connecting to like the chatty people who don't allow spaces for other people to speak. Yeah, the piece is called Agua de Chicalco, which means rattle water.
This has been Conversations from the Center, Episode 8, Affective Technologies. Thanks for listening. And for more info about the Center for Arts Design and Social Research, please check out our website, centerartsdesign.org. 
You can also find us on Instagram at Center Arts Design, on Twitter at Center Art Design, and you can also send us an email at center.adsr at gmail.com.